The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying?, what is Chen selling? To sign up for my letter as well as Chen's letter, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or call our number in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Well, Chen has posted a remarkable track record in the past, and he's watching very carefully a couple of the biopharmaceutical stocks that have huge upside potential. Most notably, uh, his favorite, which is Sorrento Therapeutics. Now, it's been uh, taking a hit along with the rest of the market, but I was uh, meeting with Chen over the weekend, and he is as uh, bullish as ever on the prospects and the fundamentals of Sorrento Therapeutics. And, you know, Chen has also been watching lithium markets very carefully. He notes that in China, lithium uh, is really in quite short supply, so he's really uh, very focused on some lithium producers that he is talking about in his newsletter. Uh, I do hope to have Chen on this show more often uh, in 2016, uh, but to follow him on a regular basis, uh, again, you might want to consider signing up for his letter at miningstocks.com. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I would like to invite you to keep your questions and comments coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com, and also invite you to follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia. I do want to thank our sponsor for today's show, Dinosert Inc. Um, I want to thank them for making the show economically viable, and I would like to make a few comments on Dinosert, which uh, became a sponsor of this show in mid-December. First of all, since then, the stock has risen from around $0.09 in Canadian money to $0.21 in Canadian money. Uh, it's quite a hefty percentage increase in just uh, about a month. Well, last week I interviewed Jim Payne on this show. The company's uh, CEO is Jim Payne. He, even though Mr. Payne is an engineer by trade, and although his tone was rather constrained, as you would expect from an engineer, 
I could tell he was quite excited about the company's prospects. Well, while the company is moving forward with and soon will have third-party verification of that test that was done with the Pepsi-Cola trucks, it is my understanding that the orders are starting to pour in in a major way. And certainly, if the metrics that Jim talked about last week on my show were correct, and I believe that they are, Namely, that Pepsi uh, Cola's uh, this, this test that was run on Pepsi Cola trucks provided a 14.8% savings in fuel, while reducing carbon emissions by 30 to 40%. Then it's hard to see why this company's patented hydrogen technology won't turn Dinosaur, uh, I think, into a monster success story. At least that's my hope, and that's what I believe, based on what I believe to be true right now. Of course, we will want to see sales results to verify the legitimacy of a more than double move in the share price over the past few weeks, but given my understanding of the economics of this business, if the sales are starting to evolve, uh, as is being suggested by Mr. Payne last week, then Dynasert should enjoy explosive sales and growth and earnings in the months to, and years to come. Well, let me just review a little bit what uh, Mr. Payne said. He said that uh, 10,000 units of sales of the Dynasert hydrogen units uh, sold would bring the company $67.5 million, and from that they would bring 60% uh, down to the uh, direct operating profits. Um, so that would be about $40.5 million. Now, he says the company can produce 2,000 units per month with a, one, uh, with a single shift and 4,000 units per month. Uh, in a uh, double shift, and that's from their existing plant in Toronto. Uh, the company is at the moment producing its first 50 units right now, uh, and has another 300 units on order, as far as I know. And um, uh, so I think things are coming along very well. It's my understanding that there is a very strong uh, interest from other trucking firms, and uh, well, we'll have to wait. Uh, but again, the proof will be in the pudding, as they say, and if this company can start to generate sales along the lines of what uh, they are suggesting, then I think this could indeed be a very exciting story. And to keep in mind, uh, to make those kind of sales with uh, for trucks, uh, their biggest expense is, is fuel. To save 14.8% on average is what the, what the past studies showed. Um, this is a very dramatic increase. And then, of course, also the 30 to 40% reduction in carbon emissions, which is also a big deal these days given the uh, regulations that are being enforced. Um, in any event, uh, it is a story that I'm going to want to be following uh, on a regular basis here for, for your benefit, for mine, my own uh, investment, as well as for my subscribers to my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. <clears throat> well, switching gears a little bit, uh, I've titled today's show, The Greatest Crisis in the History of Mankind is Here. Now, that title was selected on the basis of a recent discussion Michael Maloney, one of my guests today, had with Harry Dent. And given the title of this show today, I couldn't help but notice a headline story today uh, in AOL.com in which Stephen Hawking was quoted as saying the human race is in danger of being wiped out in the next 100 years. And it's all our own fault, meaning human beings' fault. Uh, according to the BBC, Hawkins believes humanity will face dangerous scenarios of our own making during the next century, including nuclear war, global warming, and genetically engineered viruses. And he told Radio Times that further progress in science and technology could increase that risk. He is quoted as saying, we are not going to stop making progress or reverse it, so we must recognize the dangers 
and control them, end of quote. Hawking has voiced his concerns on this topic before. Just last year, he warned that artificial intelligence could wipe out the human race. Well, on such happy, happy topics as that, I do hope that my main guest today, Michael Maloney, uh, was thinking in much less cataclysmic terms than Stephen Hawkins. But I, he definitely, that is Michael, definitely believes we are facing some cataclysmic times in terms of the financial markets. But Michael thinks those horrific dangers in the financial markets can be turned from a negative to a positive such that if you are positioned correctly, you can actually increase your wealth rather than lose it when the system implodes or explodes. Michael Oliver will join me uh, in the second half of today's show after Michael Maloney. Uh, Hopefully, uh, Michael Oliver's view will be less dramatic and negative even than that of Mr. Maloney. Michael does indeed believe we will be seeing some rather dramatic changes in the markets this year with the hot bull markets of the last several years turning into bear markets and the cold bear markets turning into bull markets. For those of us who have been long in the precious metals over the four to five years, uh, the last four or five years, we should uh, that should be good news, but we will have to wait until uh, the last third of today's show to hear what Michael Oliver has to say which I trust, as I say, will be far less catastrophic than, uh, than the kind of uh, ideas that Michael Maloney will give to us. But again, Michael also says, turn negatives into positives. Well, you won't have to wait too long for what Michael Maloney has to say because we do have to go to break now. But when we come back, uh, I will be with Michael Maloney, so don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dynacert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Dynacert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. Dynacert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is dynacert.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, momentarily we are expecting to have Michael Maloney with me. He has not, uh, is not yet available, but expects to be available shortly, so uh, I will uh, keep my contact alive here with my engineer, and as soon as Michael appears, we will be talking to him. Meantime, I would like to uh, just talk to you a little bit about some of my thoughts on, and some of what I'm going to be talking about when I speak uh, at the Cambridge House show this coming Sunday in Vancouver. Uh, one of the things I'm going to talk about, well, the title of my talk is Four Top Gold Picks for This Wretched Market. Uh, and so the criteria, the companies that I'm looking at, and I'll be writing about this this weekend in my newsletter as well, uh, the question uh, that I have and the criteria is the companies need to be able to survive the current environment without massive shareholder dilution. Um, let me just make sure I'm in touch here with uh, my engineer. Uh, so that's the first thing. Can, uh, can, the, can the companies survive the current environment, uh, this bear market, uh, perhaps we're ready for a turn in the market to a bull market in gold? I, I suspect we are, but I thought that for some time. So the question is, what companies can we hold that can survive this without massive shareholder dilution? Because many of these companies have to go out and issue shares simply to stay alive. Uh, I believe we might have Michael Maloney with us now. So uh, I will talk to you a little later about uh, the four top. Let me just mention, uh, finish my thought here. The four top picks uh, for this wretched gold bull, uh, this gold market. Uh, one is, uh, can the company survive the current environment without massive shareholder dilution? Uh, secondly, uh, can they grow organically from internally generated funds in this uh, bear market? And thirdly, uh, do they have large massive upside potential? Uh, relative to the current market cap. And I've identified four companies. I'll just name them quickly. I will be talking about them in Vancouver this coming Sunday. Osisco Gold Royalties, Dynacor Gold Mines, which has been a sponsor of this show, Gold Source Mines, and Novo Resources also has been a sponsor of this show. There's some very exciting opportunities for this gold share market when it finally turns around. And uh, with regard to that, I hope that uh, Michael Maloney can help me and help us understand when and if this gold bull, uh, gold market is ever going to turn around. Michael, are you there? I'm here, Jay. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thanks. I'm glad you could join me. Um, you know, I, I should mention, I guess, uh, to to our subscri- to our listeners uh, that um, you, GoldSilver.com is really where they should go to follow all the things you do and to purchase uh, the products that you have. You, have a, you uh, do sell gold and silver products, I, I believe. And uh, so goldsilver.com, that's where they should go, right? Yes, we are a precious metals dealer, goldsilver.com. But we also have uh, Hidden Secrets of Money, which is uh, the most watched uh, economics, uh, monetary history uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, and that's available at hiddensecretsofmoney.com. And then uh, there's uh, my book, uh, Guide to Investing in Gold and Silver, which is the best-selling book on investing in precious metals. Yeah, The Hidden Secrets of Money, which I've watched, is, is very well worth uh, people taking their time to watch it. Uh, it is a very good educational uh, piece. And I think, you know, I, I just wish more people would watch it because if people understood what was really going on as, it, as it's laid out there in the monetary system, I think... Uh, well, I think people would react differently and probably vote a little differently, too, Michael. Yes, um, if your viewers get a chance, please watch episode four about the monetary system. It's called The Greatest Scam in the History of Mankind. 
And it is, uh, shows very clearly how our monetary system is basically just a Ponzi scheme. It's a pyramid scheme. It, it always requires us to go deeper into debt every year, the, the entire world, to maintain this monetary system. Yeah, and then the question is, how much further will the physics of nature allow us to, to go? How much further in debt can we go, Michael, before something has to give, right? Right. We're uh, getting very close to that breaking point right now. And, uh, you know, in my, when I was doing the research for my book, I had discovered that every 30 to 40 years, the world had had a new monetary system. Uh, the average person did not feel the change. This was something that only uh, the uh, countries and the international banks and international businesses felt when we went from the classical gold standard before World War I to the gold exchange standard between the wars to the Bretton Woods system from 1944 to 71 and then the global dollar standard from 71 until today, which is now 44 years old. It is the worst designed uh, uh, system of all, and uh, it's due for its own demise, and I believe we're going to have a currency crisis before the end of this decade, but everyone is going to feel it, and only precious metals investors are going to benefit from it. Well, certainly there's going to be a lot of resistance to precious metals. There has been uh, certainly just the indoctrination process, the fact that people aren't aware of this Ponzi scheme you're talking about. Right. Uh, the educational system, are we're spending a huge amounts of money in the United States to build schools, and yet people haven't a clue, haven't the most basic understanding of what money is about. And I have to think that's at least partly by design, Michael, because if people really understood what was going on, they would sure as heck want some changes and the establishment wouldn't be very pleased with the changes they desire. Right. Well, one of the biggest uh, things that uh, we have to accomplish, I mean, you and myself and all the other people in the precious metals slash Austrian economics slash hard money community is starting to define the difference between money and currency. There is no nation on the planet that uses money. Uh, you do not have money in your pocket that is a national currency. It's a fiat currency. By its very design, it has to continue losing value throughout its lifetime or the whole system implodes. Money has to be a store of value. That's one of the key attributes. Mm -hmm. Currency has to be a medium of exchange, a unit of account, portable, durable, divisible, fungible, which means the units are interchangeable. Uh, if I loan you a $20 bill, you don't have to pay me back that exact $20 bill. You can pay me back... Uh, five ones, a five, and a ten, and I don't care. So that's fungibility. Right. And then money has to be all of those things plus a store of value. And an ounce of gold still buys about the same amount of stuff as it did 2,000 years ago. So it is a store of value. The dollar's lost 96% of its value since the inception of the Federal Reserve. It's not money, it's a currency. And we, we have to start uh, telling that to our audiences so that our audiences start understanding the difference between um, you know when you hear people talk about gold as honest money yeah. it doesn't steal from you our currency system is designed to tax you and rob from you continuously through either direct taxation to pay off the bonds that the Federal Reserve purchases with a check from nothing it's counterfeit basically or through the inflation tax. There was no inflation before the Federal Reserve. 
So there were short-term inflations and deflations that uh, were caused by the velocity of money. But when you don't have this continually expanding currency supply, you don't have positive inflation all the time robbing you of your wealth. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, you mentioned the uh, money needs to be a store of value. Uh, I recall a discussion you and I and my friend Ian Gordon had up there in Vancouver two or three years ago mm -hmm. in which uh, you were almost in complete agreement with Ian's views that we were heading into a deflationary implosion, the likes of which probably would make the 1930s look like child's play. Are you still of that view? And if so, isn't uh, the dollar then uh, a store of value if we're in a deflationary environment? Uh, yes, it will be temporarily. It's going to be the beneficiary of uh, uh, there will be this will probably start out of China or Europe, and there will be this temporary flight to what people have been taught is the safe haven, which is U.S. Treasury bonds. And that will make the dollar the beneficiary of this temporary event. But we are in for a global deflationary episode, um, and so the dollar will rise temporarily. But the one safe haven that you can always count on, I mean, all... If you go back 2,000 years, there isn't any, uh, any IOU written by any government that is worth anything. And that is exactly what a bond is, is an IOU. So people are trained to run toward IOUs for safety. Well, the counterparty has to have the ability to pay. Mm -hmm. With gold, there is no counterparty. And so it is the ultimate safe haven. And so you're going to see one last pop in the dollar probably but then you're going to see gold take off like a rocket. And uh, in the last great deflation, the only big deflation that we can point to, where our, uh, where our currency was semi-disconnected from gold, uh, gold rose from $20.67 an ounce to $35 an ounce, while the dollar uh, gained in purchasing power. And so uh, your total purchasing power, if you were invested in gold during the Great Depression, went up about two and a half times. Mm -hmm. Now, they, Roosevelt uh, committed treason and uh, made gold illegal for Americans to own, our constitutional money. He made it illegal for Americans to own, punishable by jail time and a, a $10,000 fine. And uh, uh, they stuck us with... Uh, Federal Reserve notes, and uh, so you couldn't really be invested in gold, but if you were invested in gold mining stocks, homestake mining was the number one investment during the Great Depression. You could not have done better than to be invested in gold mining stocks during the Great Depression. So that's the only um, big deflation we can look back to and compare to what is coming, and the best investment was related to gold. All right, Michael. Well, uh, Roosevelt confiscated gold, as you pointed out. Um, well, he actually nationalized. The people yeah. that use the word confiscation, it's usually a coin dealer that wants to sell you an overpriced numismatic confiscation. <laughs> okay. Conjures up visions of somebody busting down your door and hitting you over the head and taking your stuff. <laughs> they requested that you go into any member branch of the Federal Reserve and they bought it from you for $20.67 an ounce. And if you didn't do that, though, there could be a jail sentence awaiting you. Exactly, yeah. Uh, over time, if they found out that you hadn't, over, by such and such a time, turned in your gold, they could, they could put you away. Correct, yeah. Now, okay, so if we're heading into another deflationary period, 
do we need to be worried that the same thing could happen again? I mean, I can remember the time when Henry Royce and his uh, banking committee uh, went forward and uh, under President Ford's signature, we made gold, owning gold, no longer a crime in this country. Right. Might they reverse that again, Michael? And if so, should we be looking at gold mining stocks as a possible alternative, or if not an alternative, at least uh, diversification? Absolutely. I have changed my stance on uh, this since I wrote my book. It's one of the few things where I have modified uh, my thoughts. Um, I used to argue that uh, the U.S. would only nationalize gold in the midst of a hyperinflation because if they once again outlawed private ownership of gold, when they did that in the 30s, the world was on a gold standard and, uh, and there, the number of dollars outside U.S. borders was very, very small. Today, the number of dollars outside the United States is about equivalent to the number of dollars inside the United States or greater. Uh, the world uses dollars. If, if you look inside all of the big international banks in Singapore and in, in Hong Kong and, and uh, Moscow and uh, Shanghai and around the world, what you will see is that they're all using dollars to send currency back and forth and then using the forex to change those dollars into their local currency when they receive those mm -hmm. dollars. Uh, so these banks are just full of dollars internationally. If uh, Obama today signed an executive order nationalizing gold once again, wouldn't you think that the rest of the world would go, oh my god, there's something wrong with the dollar and start dumping dollars and buying gold? That yeah. would give them the exact opposite outcome of, of what they would want, which mm -hmm. means uh, the dollar would crash and gold would go to the moon. However, since I wrote my book, I just watched government do one stupid thing after another, and I'm pretty mm -hmm. well convinced that there are no decisions that the government makes that are good ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I started thinking that perhaps they would be stupid enough to do that. Uh, you know, Before, I was thinking the only way they would do that is if we were in a runaway hyperinflation and they had nothing to lose by doing it. Right. Um, because it has been done in, in the past, not just in the United States, but you look throughout history, when you're in the midst of a hyperinflation, it's about a 50-50 uh, chance that they will uh, ban the use of gold and silver in transactions somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, but <clears throat> I came out with a, a line of uh, bullion jewelry. I call it um, uh, bullion jewelry because it's called Gold Without Borders. Uh, simply because, and, and what I did was I went to a chain manufacturer that manufactures 22 carat gold chain that's, that's the same purity as a gold eagle coin and uh, had them make up uh, necklaces and bracelets in bulk so that I can sell them very close to the spot price instead of three, four, five times the spot sure. price like uh -huh. jewelry stores do. And then we make a two-way market in it. We buy it back from you. If, uh, and so um, it's something like Elizabeth Taylor used to be able to fly around the world with $100,000 worth of precious metals around her neck <laughs> and had no problem. Uh, uh -huh. So you can put on uh, a whole bunch of wealth, and when mm -hmm. you land in, in another country, you don't have to fill out a... Card, when, when you're filling out the landing card, it asks if you're bringing um, cash or cash equivalents such as stocks and bonds into their country exceeding mm -hmm. $10,000. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. You don't have to fill that out. And there is no time in history that I can identify where a nation has confiscated uh, jewelry from its citizens. They always Mm -hmm. come after coins and bars. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, uh, with the exception of like, you know, when they're persecuting one set of people, like uh, in Weimar, in in Germany, uh, when they were, during Hitler, when they were, not Weimar Germany, but Hitler's regime. Hitler's Germany, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, and the other, the only other thing that you can own is gold stocks, just like in the 30s. Um, yeah. That's what, and, and um, gold stocks uh, usually give you big leverage to the underlying asset, gold, but it gives you just as much leverage to the downside as it does to the upside. So mm-hmm. uh, after, when this bottom is in, uh, then it's time to move some of your assets into precious metal stocks for leverage. But I do believe every precious metals investor should have a core position of uh, gold and silver, uh, physical. Because oh, at first, when, a, when, when the market crashes, the stocks go along for the ride big time, when, when the general stock market crashes. Right. Uh, if you look back at um, 2008, however, uh, gold went along for the ride but then stopped in October the general markets kept on crashing until uh, March of the following year. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and I might add that gold stocks did exceedingly well for a couple of years there as the real price of gold rose, that is gold rose relative to some of the cost of getting it out, oil and, and yes. other materials costs and so forth. And, uh, well, you know, Michael, I want to ask you, um, we, we titled today's show, um, Are We Facing the Greatest Crisis in Human History? And I picked that title up from a little... Uh, discussion that you and Harry Dent had. It was on your. Uh, I guess it was. I, I saw it at the uh, uh, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to ask you if, if we're. First of all, I want to ask you about that. It sounds a little bit uh, a, a little bit dramatic, but um, and I know you're talking about the redistribution of wealth that's going to happen. And I want to get to that. But before we did something else, just uh, cropped up in my mind concerning Mr. Dent. Uh, uh, he is widely known for suggesting. Uh, we're headed to $600 gold. Now, with that, I don't know if you're in agreement with that, but if that, I could understand how that could happen if we go into a real deep deflation. So the dollar could continue to gain versus gold for a while, but at some point when the system, when, when confidence is lost in the dollar system, that could turn around real quickly. Do you see that kind of downside potential? Are you in agreement with Mr. Dent on that issue? I think we could see a potential spot price dropping below a thousand, but I think uh, once it, if you have three-digit gold once again, mm-hmm. the number of people rushing into that sector trying to do trying to buy physical will cause a huge divergence between the spot price and the price you can actually obtain physical for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, um, Harry uh, doesn't account for certain factors. He's just basing things off of demographics and history only, but there are twists. Uh, um, He's viewing gold as a commodity. Now, Mm -hmm. I believe that he has been saving people from investing in gold since it was about 400 bucks an ounce. He's been telling Mm -hmm. people not Mm -hmm. to invest in gold Uh since it was. So he kept them from that ride all the way up to 1900. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this was... Who's the uh, Elliott Wave guy, Bill? Prechter, uh, Robert Prechter. Robert Prechter, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Robert Prechter. Uh, he's been saying that gold is going back to 250, and I thought Harry had also said 250. Mm-hmm. But if you look at what's happening right now, 
See, in the, in, in the 70s bull market and during the Great Depression, the last great deflation that we had, when, when gold performed during the Great Depression and it performed during the 70s bull market, China and Russia were not a factor. Half the world uh, was basically living under um, communist regimes where the government ran everything, the government uh, uh, owned everything, and there were no markets. So more than half the world's population, it w they could not buy gold. This was an illegal thing. Those markets mm -hmm. did not exist in those countries. Right now, China and India combined consume more than all global gold production. Uh, and so we've got these uh, huge buyers that buy every time it goes down. And um, uh, it's, it's a, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. Yes, you could see the spot price dip below 1000 but it's not going to stay there. Like Harry thinks it's going down to 600 and it's going to stay there. You're going to see the world rush towards safe haven investments, uh, which is considered U.S. treasuries and gold mm -hmm. and silver. And when they rush toward these, it doesn't take, I mean, if 99% rushes toward uh, bonds and only 1% rushes toward gold, you're still going to have an explosion in the gold price. Yeah. And then as bonds top and start heading south, some of those bond investors are then going to rush toward gold. Because bonds are in a 30, the end stages of a 30-year bull market. Bull markets do not last forever. I think we're going to get this one last pop, and then it's time for the bond bubble to pop. Um, the bubbles don't persist forever. It's impossible, and bonds are in a bubble. Well, there's no question about that in my mind, that's for sure. But yet we see this, you mentioned velocity, and uh, people are hanging on to their money. I, I believe people yeah. are hanging on to their money because they don't, uh, the common folks, the average, the middle class, doesn't have the money. They have to hang on to it to pay their rent. They don't have any extras in the credit. They're tapped out on their credit cards. Maybe they have a little space yet, but they're worried right. about the future. Their jobs are in decrease or in decline. Uh, how do we get from there? As I understand uh, Michael, you're really looking at ultimately this deflationary event uh, mm -hmm. turning around into a hyperinflationary event. How do we get to that point where velocity changes? Because I think that's what you'd have to have, right? Well, you, you're going to see that in my next episode of Hidden Secrets of Money. Uh, okay. It's the day of reckoning. And uh, basically, um, if you look at Weimar Germany, uh, during World War I, uh, Germany, uh, you know, all nations in, in Europe stopped redemption rights. You could no longer turn in your currency and get money for it. You couldn't go mm -hmm. into a bank, give them your national currency, and ask for a gold coin in exchange. Uh, so you couldn't trade currency for money. Once they stopped redemption rights for real money, they lit up the printing presses and every country, every combatant uh, uh, printed to do deficit spending because in war, you have to outspend your opponent to be able to win the war. Mm -hmm. And uh, Germany expanded their currency supply. Uh, they added 400%. So it was five times larger at the end of the war than it was at the beginning of the war. Inflation picked up a little bit during the middle of the war, but then dropped back down as they started to lose the war and their borders were collapsing in on them, and their, their sons were being killed, and anxiety levels rose, they mm -hmm. saved every extra mark that was printed. Mm -hmm. And then after the war, 
those, the anxiety was lifted once the war ended and those marks they had been saving came out into circulation and the purchases that they had put off, the, uh, the things that they didn't buy for four years, they started making purchases, velocity picked up and there was a pre-hyperinflation hyperinflation, which I've never heard or read anybody, nobody's ever talked about this, but uh, in 1919 to 1921, uh, prices rose nine times. So there was a 900% inflation in those short years. That's a hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. Then it leveled off in, in, uh, in, in uh, late 21 through mid-22, and then prices rose another 700% before the end of 22, and that's when something broke. There's a Pavlovian response people that had already been punished by losing 90% of their purchasing power back in uh, 1919 through 1920, uh, they knew better this time around and they started spending every piece of currency they could get their hands on or borrow it and spend, so they'd spend it before they got paid. And that's when you reach a positive feedback loop where uh, hyperinflation can't be stopped unless the government... Uh, lets all government employees go, shuts down the government, and waits for the free market to account for all of the currency. The price levels have to rise until it accounts for all the currency that's in circulation and the velocity that's going on. Mm. And no government has ever made that choice. They always print their currency into oblivion. Uh, I'm expecting that as the baby boomers get scared and uh, with this next crash, they are now of an age where they want to retire in five years. And they're going to try and hang on to every unit of currency, whether it's dollars or euros or yen. They're all going to be hanging on to their currency and not spending it. And that causes velocity to slow down. And no matter how much Janet Yellen prints or whatever, uh, uh, the deflation will continue until they get enough saved up to where they figure, you know, I, th I think I could retire now, but I really deserve that new car or that new big screen TV or the latest mm -hmm. computer. Once that current, once their anxiety is lifted by having enough saved for retirement, that's when currency starts coming out into circulation. And we could actually have a hyperinflation without the Fed printing anything. Mm -hmm. Well, there's certainly enough, uh, uh, certainly enough, money in the system right now it's just sitting there to the to a great extent i think we're seeing velocity levels uh akin to what was in the 1930s perhaps michael and yeah uh, they're dropping off a cliff right yeah it's it's really amazing to watch that now we only have about three or four minutes left so i need to ask you quickly that let's get to this title we are facing the greatest crisis in human history now this crisis is going to happen before or after the hyperinflation or is it well, all part think, of the same thing? I think thing? this is the crisis. I think the markets have topped right now. And we are in this space where over the next few years, we're going to see uh, a really big crash. And it's probably, see, this, um, the, the markets levitated to where they are. This is all engineered. In fact, lately I've been showing charts of how uh, the Wilshire 5000 total market cap index. So this is a measurement of the value of the stock market. Um, how it exactly tracked uh, the creation of base currency, the excess reserves that are on banks' balance sheets. And it is so, the, the correlation is so close that it's a virtual impossibility that, uh, the, that the markets going up to where they are, that, that 
the creation of currency by Ben Bernanke was not directly responsible for it. So it's an engineered manipulation, and manipulations always end badly. And you are about to see that this is going to be the big disclosure where people will be able to see finally that Keynesian economics has failed. It does not work, and Austrian economics is correct. So we're going to see uh, a loss of confidence. The con game will be up. Yes. Who will be the who will be the winners? Who will be the losers? With one minute left, Michael. Well, what you're going to probably see is a short-term dip in precious metals, and you have to use. To me, I'm using this to buy. I think gold under two thousand dollars is just a bargain and a half. So if you can buy down near a thousand, or if it does dip under a thousand, I don't think you're going to be able to get a whole lot of physical for under a thousand. But uh, the stocks will be a bargain. But um, this is the t- the time right now over this next be, before gold starts to spike is when you want to buy not after and sure uh, uh, then uh, it's going to take off like a rocket one of these days and never look back um, I don't know if we're uh, you know if it's a permanent deflation you will see uh, the dollar survive but mm-hmm. I doubt that that's what's going to happen because the central banks have the hubris to uh, uh, print until deflation gives way because they think they can control things and they cannot. They've already lowered interest rates to zero, so they're, that, they're out of those bullets. The yeah. only bullet that they've got is currency creation. And they will create and create and create until the dollar and all the other currencies uh, start to fade into oblivion. All right. Well, it would really be good if, we, if they could set their hubris aside and recognize what money is. Uh, that it's not currency, it's gold, it's silver, as defined in our Constitution. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess to hope for that is, uh, is probably a bit unrealistic given the history of, uh, of central bankers. And uh, so we yes, want to prepare they- ourselves as best we can. And you're doing a really great job. I want to thank you, Michael, for that for being Thank with you. us and also uh, for the uh, wonderful material that you provide at goldsilver.com and on your uh, Hidden Secrets of Money uh, websites. Those are excellent. I want to thank you very much. Anything else you'd like to add before we say goodbye for today? Uh, just uh, please take a look at Hidden Secrets of Money. Uh, it's free. It's educational. It's not trying to sell you anything. Uh, it's, uh, we think it's very well produced. It's shot in 18 countries around the world. And I think your viewers will really enjoy it. Well produced and entertaining and educational and free. It's hard to beat all of that. So thank you very much, Michael, for being with us today. And look forward to doing it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thank you, Jay. All the best to you. Well, folks, don't go away. We've got to go to commercial break. When we come back, Michael Oliver will be with us. That's Michael Oliver uh, to talk about some major plate tectonic shifts in the markets that he's been talking about uh, mid last year. And now I think we're starting to see those cracks uh, take place. And uh, very much along the lines, I, I'm quite sure what Michael Maloney was just telling us. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
DynaCert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by 30 to 40 percent, increase torque, and provide up to 15 percent in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. DynaCert's ability to reduce greenhouse gases provides long-term benefits to the environment. DynaCert trades on the TSX Venture, symbol DYA, and the OTCBB symbol DYFSF. The website is DynaCert.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me another Michael. This is Michael Oliver, who's been with us very often. In fact, I think the most frequent guest we've had on our show. And I would just say, uh, remind you that the place to go to follow what Michael does and to sign up for his service is OliverMSA.com. Oliver, M is in Mary, S is in Sam, A is in Albert.com. Well, Michael, we just uh, discussed with Michael Maloney uh, that we are now facing what he calls the greatest crisis in the history of mankind. Now, that sounds a, a, a bit hyped. Um, Michael does sell gold and silver coins, but he also does a lot of good educational work. He's not a technical analyst like you are. I like to rely on technical analysis because I think it's uh, it, it puts the, emotion, the emotions aside and the feelings and the ideas aside and lets the market do uh, do the talking. And you have your own unique way of looking at momentum and structure which I find is very helpful and has been very helpful to me. So I really am glad to have you back again. You, From your point of view and from your work as a technician, uh, what do you think? Do you think Michael might be a little bit overstating the, the, uh, the situation? No, I, I, can't, uh, I can't disagree. Uh, my only issue is, is whether it comes in some fairly dramatic downdrafts, you know, crash-type yeah. situations here and there, or, or whether it's a layered process that takes, you know, a couple of years Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm open to either. I, I can't deny the potential for a, a massive downdraft, let's say, further in stocks. Uh, frankly, I expect another. I expect to see it in the 1600s in the S&P probably in the first quarter, maybe next week. You know, I don't know. It's done enough damage to where it's, the door is wide open now, as far as okay. I'm concerned. Uh, that's the but, it's, but, it's, but, now, it, but the but the direction is pretty certain, I believe. In, in as terms far of as I'm concerned, it, it, it it's done. It's a done yeah. deal. 2015 Warren, 2016 put the final nail in it. And, uh, I mean, it, it, back in December before the year closed, I was noting to, to my subscribers, and even the Wall Street Journal picked up on it and ran the article, uh, that it's time to lock and load was the quote I used, and I guess they like the sensationalism of that. So they put <laughs> it in the article. Uh, and the reason I said that is we were trading back then. Remember, we made our low in August uh, in the 1800s, and it rallied back into the 2000s on the S&P. Mm-hmm. Comfy, you know, back up, uh, even back up, traded up 2,100, got sure. back within 30 points as high of the year. So it really looked good and comfy, and you close the year at 2043. The problem was, 
from annual momentum perspective, not a price chart perspective. Because remember, at 2043, where you close the year, you were 170-plus points above the August low, so it felt comfy. Yeah. But from annual momentum, as soon as we opened the new year, by not being above 2090, I blew out a four-year floor on annual momentum. So it basically was like you know, walking through a floorboard of huge dimensions. And so the tone and temper of the market was fitting to what it did to momentum. It, was, it, it no longer had support. So what happened, we immediately went back down to the 1800s. Uh, and I don't think that's the end of it. I think it's the start of it. And mm-hmm. I think it, you know, it will probably last the bear market at least into 2017 and, and maybe even longer. And then the question is, what ultimate depth do you get? And I, frankly, I can't deal with that issue. I can deal with it in layers. And I suspect that the next major low has a shot of being in the low 1600s. Uh, which is a considerable further distance. Uh, the other market I'm really keen on, of course, is, is the one your previous guest talked about, was gold. Uh, I'm, I'm of the view gold's not going to make a new low. That the low at 2040 uh, and change last year was it. We're now just below 2090, quiet, behaving. Uh, the main feature about gold that I pay attention to, other than its momentum and price, is its spread relationship to the S&P 500. That's two assets compared one to the other. And I, uh, therefore, I run what's called spread charts, or, or some people call them relative performance charts, where I divide the price of gold into the S&P and I plot it. I also run long-term momentum of that spread. Right now, gold is trading at about 57% plus the price of the S&P, if you divide gold into the S&P, you'll end up with a percent of about 50. If you close out this month at that level, I argue that the base is in place for gold to now begin to outperform the S&P again. Remember, the S&P beat the pants off the S, uh, excuse me, gold beat the pants off the S&P from 2000 through 2011, big time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Huge percentage gains. Uh, but then it suffered its, its uh, corrective down move in the spread coincident with its price down move and dropped mm-hmm. back down to 57, about 51% versus the S&P. It's now firmed up to about 57. Uh, so I'm keenly watching that because I think if that breakout occurs on the relative performance basis, that will probably be coincident with a price and a momentum breakout in gold. Fairly, fairly coincident. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still of the opinion, which is hard to, to uh, prove when you look at the, the price action of like the gold miners. For example, mm-hmm. the GDX, which is an unleveraged ETF of gold miners, it's making a new low today. Gold is not, but the GDX just blew out uh, a six-month-wide floor of price that anybody could see just looking at a chart. Uh, I'm not impressed by the new low. It doesn't spook me at all. Uh, it's, it's, it traded around $12.50 on the GDX. I've now lowered my buy number. If you trade back up to 15 and close any week at $15 or more, as far as I'm concerned, it's over. Mm-hmm. It's turning. And I think that there's a good possibility that the miners will beat the metals in the next upturn, um, which is, of course, they've not uh, been behaving better than gold for the last several years. But Mm -hmm. I think that that could change, despite today's weakness in the gold miners. Yeah, or maybe because of it, in part, because we're looking at such a low, undervalued. Well, is it what I, I guess the correlation has to be, in part, the weakness in the equity markets as a whole, because you have uh, people with their portfolios and they've got to liquidate or they've got to sell, or people just selling yes. 
whatever. Well, they and, are stocks, after all. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And, and also people are looking at other mining stocks that are not gold-based, iron ore stocks and copper mm-hmm. stocks and so forth, and they, they, they're basketing them together, and that's, yeah. that's a mistake. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a that's a pretty big mistake, I think. Well, you you've talked about these major plate tectonic changes. Uh, you started talking about that last year already, you know. And um, uh, so, do you think we're here? I, I think we were looking basically at uh, debt, equity, and debt, probably seeing a shift mm-hmm. towards yeah, a bear market and precious metals and commodities as a whole. Although, as you've pointed out, often certainly not in tandem. Uh, what about some of the key commodities? Uh, oil, for example, is the big one. That's what everybody's watching. I Nobody seems to have I a handle. Oil is uh, the Judas goat of uh, certain vulnerable markets. In other words, it was the one. It was the last commodity to uh, turn down hard. Uh, most commodities peaked in 2011 or 12 and got the stuffings beat out of them by 2013 or 14. Well, oil didn't even break down until August uh, for my work, uh, $96. I put out a major sell signal in August of 2014. So it was way, way lagged to yeah. the general commodity downturn. But, but because it is such an important commodity, everybody's focused on it. Meanwhile, corn and sugar are bottoming and turning up, and nobody's noticing that. Uh, but oil, I think, because of its, its weight, its gravity in, in certain stocks and debt instruments, uh, is a Judas goat. In other words, it's not going to quit doing what it's doing until it sees screaming and blood in certain other markets. Now, we're getting that in the high-yield debt market. We're getting Mm -hmm. screaming and blood. Uh, And we're only now, recently, in the last two weeks, getting it in the Mm S&P. And I think once the S&P has demonstrated that it's uh, uh, screaming over the edge, at that point, the oil market will have done its job, so to speak. Uh, And I think that... Like any market, it can overshoot its fundamental justified levels. And I know a lot of people, when the market gets low, they, it, it, nobody was bearish at 96 and everybody got bearish at 40. And now it's, you know, it's going to go to 10. You know? So uh, I don't buy into that. I'm looking for a low in oil. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking for it probably coincident with the first S&P low. So, for example, if the S&P does drop, in the Q1 or in the next few weeks down into the 1600s and generates a trading low there, I'd look for oil to be bottoming at about that time and quite possibly make it a low that it doesn't come back through and at that right. point begin to divorce itself from stock market, uh, at which point commodities as a basket, I think, are, are once oil is finished as a basket, I think commodities are ready to turn as an asset category against the S&P. Well, certainly when oil turns and bottoms, it's going to start getting people to look at the commodities in general, I suppose, then, huh? I think so. And, and like I said, some of them, if you look at a corn chart or a sugar chart, sugar is arguably in a bull trend, a, a recent emergent bull trend. So a lot, a lot of these essential commodity markets that we, we don't talk about because everybody's focused on oil, they're turning uh, and, and in, in convincing ways. And... Uh, so I don't, you don't see the same thing you see in oil that you see in other markets. So oil is definitely the, the screaming one, and it's grabbing the headlines, but it's not the state of the commodity world. It doesn't truly reflect it right now. It's late, it's a laggard, and it's a noisy one. Well, you certainly have uh, been right on the nose on the high-yield debt, and you put out something today that to, for your subscribers that I think is very interesting. Uh, my engineer is telling me we've only we're basically running out of time, but the high yield HYG you're showing here is really breaking down big time now, isn't it? Yeah, we we got bearish uh, 
actually back in early 2014, the spread started to change where you could see the investment money going into U.S. Treasury debt and out of high yield. Uh, and, and that helped cause the HYG and other ETFs like that to start down. But it's been a slowdown, a slow downward movement. Now it's accelerating to the point where I think we're ready for what you might call a reverse blow-off. All right. Where price we're going to have to leave down it. Extremely rapidly. All right, we're going to have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you very much for being with us again. Always great to have you. Uh, We are out of time. That's all for this week, folks. Next week, Ellen Brown will be with me uh, as my main main guest, and she will talk about how the politicians are planning to move us to a cashless society if they can manage it. Um, And then I'm going to have Roy Sabag, also of uh, Gold Money, to be with us to help help us understand how we might protect ourselves against the dangers of the banking system. So it should be a great show. I hope that you'll join me. Until next week, goodbye. God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.